This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. An ongoing discussion in the legislature is how to staff and fund fire and EMS services around the state. Much of the state, especially in rural areas, is covered by volunteer fire departments. It's a service that's essential to our communities, so we have to ensure that the ambulances and the fire trucks are staffed when that call for 911 comes. And in order to accomplish that in many communities, we have to rely on those volunteers as well as paid staff. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A bill progressing through the Senate could create penalties for driving too slowly on the highway. Jack Walker has more. The Senate Transportation and Infrastructure Committee advanced legislation on Monday that would ensure slow drivers steer clear of the left lane. Senate Bill 441 would apply to all four-lane interstate highways in West Virginia. Under the bill, driving in their left lanes at an unsafely slow speed would be classified as a misdemeanor and punishable by fines of $100 for first offense or $200 for each subsequent offense within a year. The bill makes exceptions for some circumstances, like when drivers pass one another or seek to avoid dangerous road conditions. If approved, it will be sent to the House of Delegates and will move one step closer to becoming law. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Shepherdstown. A bill to legalize drug test strips passed both chambers last week. Emily Rice has more. A drug test strip is a small strip of paper that can detect the presence of cutting agents like fentanyl in all different kinds of drugs. Under the current state code, drug testing strips are considered drug paraphernalia. This means someone who is found in possession of drugs can be additionally charged for possession of drug paraphernalia if they have drug testing strips. Senate Bill 269 removes drug testing strips from the state's list of drug paraphernalia. It passed the Senate on Tuesday and the House on Friday. Lawmakers passed a similar bill in 2022, exempting testing strips that detect fentanyl from that statute. House Bill 4373 went into effect in June of that year. Proponents of the bill, like Iris Sadiqman, who goes by they-them pronouns and is Harm Reduction Program Director for the Women's Health Center, say it could save lives. They said while fentanyl testing strips have been useful, the newest cutting agent, xylazine, or Trank, is the most requested test strip. Under current state law, it would be illegal for the clinic to distribute xylazine tests. The most immediate thing that this legislation would allow is for us to distribute xylazine test strips, which many people have asked me about here at the clinic as part of our harm reduction program. People are interested in them. According to a 2023 report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in 2021, the highest rate of drug overdose deaths involving xylazine occurred in Region 3, which includes West Virginia. Sadiqman said people knowing what is in their drugs allows them to use more safely and better respond to overdoses around them. I think that they allow people to make better, more informed decisions about their health and what they do with their bodies. And I think that that's a good thing. Sadiqman said the harm reduction program aims to provide people with the tools necessary to stay healthy and safe while they navigate their lives. Whether or not they choose to end their substance use, reduce their substance use, whatever they choose. 
And in order for people to be able to make positive changes in their life, they have to be alive. Senator Eric Tarr, a Putnam County Republican, was the only vote against Senate Bill 269. In spite of all the efforts that we've made on these enablement measures, and that's what I see this as, it's just it's another enablement, feel-good measure, we are seeing still an escalation of our population that's using drugs and and being significantly harmed by them. Tar said he wants West Virginia to be the last place someone would want to use or sell drugs. West Virginia ought to be the absolute worst place in the country to be involved in the, the drug industry, illicit drug industry. This should be the absolute last place in the world you want to come to do drugs sell drugs, um, be busted for drugs, and frankly for rehab because our rehab has been an an abysmal failure. Siddiquman said the legalization of all drug testing strips will allow them and their team to stay ahead of the newest cutting agents. If there is a new drug that enters the supply that that testing strips are developed for, we would automatically be able to give those out and we wouldn't have to wait and go back to the legislature and get those legalized before being able to give them out. The bill now goes to the governor for his signature. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Cloudy skies today, a slight chance of rain this afternoon, highs in the 40s. Chance of rain or snow tonight with lows in the 30s. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with highs in the 40s. Support for WVPB is provided by the We Who Wrestle With God Tour through Live Nation. Presenting Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, February 7th at the Charleston Municipal Auditorium. Tickets online at livenation.com. And by Dutch Miller Subaru in Charleston. Dutch Miller Automotive is proud to be dedicated to multiple community service initiatives and local charities. More about our team and the Subaru Love Promise at DutchMillerSubaru.com. Much of the state, especially in rural areas, is covered by volunteer firefighters. But those departments need money for equipment that can't be raised with bake sales. Chris Hall, the executive director of the West Virginia EMS Coalition, and Delegate Clay Riley, the vice chair of the House Fire and EMS Committee, spoke with Randy Yowie about funding issues for the legislature today. Delegate Riley, you keep an eye on them, I know, throughout the legislature. What are the pluses and what are the challenges? Well, first, we got to recognize those are the fabric of our, those members of the fabric of our community. They are there when we need them the most. And so I've had the opportunity the past two years to serve as vice chair of fire and EMS. So I've really went on a listening tour, listening to a, a number of our departments. And one of the things they talked about as the negatives is, is the challenges in trying to um, recruit new members. But the positives are that the sense of pride that you get in the community and the support that they have from the community members. So I think, you know, it's it's incumbent upon the county commissions to be able to, to support them, and it's incumbent upon the state to be able to help 
facilitate that. And we'll talk about trying to get new members here. Chris, I know that a number of VMS uh, members are also volunteer firefighters, so you have a stake in the game. Absolutely. And EMS and fire, you know, it, it's a blend where it's a service that's essential to our communities. So we have to ensure that the ambulances and the fire trucks are staffed when that call for 911 comes. And in order to accomplish that in many communities, we have to rely on those volunteers as well as paid staff. Well, and, and we know that Governor Justice has set up the answer to the call program to try to recruit EMS. There's not a recruiting program for volunteer fire departments. As you said, it has a lot to do with the county. But what can the state do that they're not doing now to help bring more people in to the VFDs? Well, I think the answer to the call program was a fantastic program. I was glad to be able to work with Governor Justice on that. As it relates to some of the fire and EMS, and some of the things we've heard is the uh, significant demands during the training process. So I think you might see us undertake some studies on what those training requirements are. We passed a bill last year that allowed for modular training over a period of five years. We've heard that that's helped in some areas and that's hurt in a few other areas. Additionally, we want to make sure that we get them engaged and on the scene and able to help with others, direct traffic or fire hose and become part of the uh, fire department. So the sooner they become engaged, I think the more likely it is to stay. I'd also I also think that there's some opportunities within some of the nursing programs to be able to, to cross-train and be able to give them some, some opportunity to have some experience. When we talk about the answer to the call program, we've seen, some, seen the billboards around the state. This is, I think, the second year, and if I'm not mistaken, the first year $10 million was dedicated toward it. Another $10 million has been proposed again this year. But, uh, Chris, you and I were talking a little bit earlier that this is stabilizing, but it's not really bringing in the new people that you wanted to see. Um, we've seen an influx. It did stabilize, and we got a few new people into the system. But it has to be an ongoing effort uh, because one of the things that we see in EMS is just a high turnover rate. When you talk about the difficult work that people do in EMS, you, see, you experience death, you see severe injury, uh, you see overdoses, you see families, friends, and it's really taxing on those individuals. And that's where we need to continue that, that outreach and that answers the call initiative, but also do more in the areas of mental health to help support those people so they stay in EMS once we attract them to the field. And I've got mental health circuit. We'll definitely get to that and talk about that. But what about the funding mechanisms when we're talking about maintaining EMS work? Um, one, one of the things is attracting them and training them, but also trying to get more money into funding to support salaries. It's one of the most difficult careers out there. There's not another healthcare worker, and we do consider ourselves healthcare workers, that has to go to work in body armor or shovel out a driveway when there's 18 inches of snow in order to care for our patient. So we've got to do more so those people feel appreciated and want to stay in the field. Delegate Riley, when you look at, at funding, and I know that's always the elephant in the room. You listen to Governor Justice in his state of the state, for example, and he said, I'm going to do $350 million here for economic development, and I'm going to do $12 million here for fire and EMS. $350, 12 you know, there are some people that just don't see that balance. Explain that to me. Well, I think when you look collectively, holistically across the all the funding uh, scenarios and all the sources, whether it's county, whether it's a levy, whether it's um, wherever the billing the insurance, I think that's how you have to look at it collectively. I know there's some things, some bills that we have moving this year. One of the major issues you hear from from EMS agencies is their inability to be able to bill for refusal of treatment, and I know that's something that we are working on. A, 
piece of legislation right now that we hope will hit an agenda. So while it sounds like it's a significant difference, I think when you look at the numbers, it's important to know that there's county levies and there's a lot of other things that factor into what the to that. But I do think you saw significant support last year uh, for that funding to come through, and I think you'll see some significant support this year as well. That was Delegate Clay Riley and Chris Hall speaking with Randy Owey about funding for EMS and fire service around the state. Visit our website to hear the rest of that conversation and tune in every weeknight at 6 p.m. to the legislature today. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.